Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to the Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to the Big Cruise Podcast and welcome to episode 18. Now, whether you've been with us from episode one or whether you're a new listener, it's a pleasure to have uh, you join us. Um, the format of the show, if you are a new listener, is we start off every show with a bit of maritime history. We then move into cruise news. Um, then normally Pete will join us from Clear um, to talk about a particular destination. And then we flow into a cruise review. And over the last week or so, we've had a lot of people reach out and say they'd like to join the show and do a cruise review. And if that is something that you would like to do, um, if you've been on a cruise in the last uh, 18 months to two years or so, and you want to uh, share the experience, you simply head to our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, click on join the show. And from that page, you can uh, either send in a question or you can send in the details of a ship you want to review. And then we'll arrange a time to uh, speak to you over the internet and uh, share your, your beautiful cruise memories. Um, this week is a little different. Um, uh, Pete from Clear can't join us this week, but uh, we do have our good friend Chris Frame joining us in just a second for all things cruise news. And later in the show, we're going to be joined by Adam, who will review his uh, recent cruise aboard Windstar Cruises, the beautiful Windsurf, um, as he sailed around the Iberian Peninsula. But without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. <laughs> And it's that time of the show when we welcome back our good friend Chris Frame, who talks all things maritime history and cruise news. Chris, welcome back. Thanks so much, Barry. Good to be back. Yeah, and yet again, we've got a bumper week of news. But before we jump into the news, let's start off with um, a birthday celebration for our good friends at Crystal. Yeah, so happy 30th birthday to Crystal. Um, it's you know one of those ones that's got a, an interesting history, even though it's not that longer history compared to some of the other companies that we've been speaking about over the course of the weeks. Um, so back in 1990, they were established as a new luxury cruise brand. It was established by a, a company called NYK, which also already had their own uh, cruise ship, but um, wanted to sort of differentiate with this new crystal brand. The first ship was a, a ship called the Crystal Harmony, which uh, some of the listeners might remember because she's actually stayed with the fleet um, all the way up until 2005. Um, and she undertook in 1990 her maiden voyage to Alaska, which is a kind of interesting um, destination mm. for a maiden voyage. Um, she was joined a few years later by uh, Crystal Symphony, and then a third ship, uh, Crystal Serenity, joined the fleet, which is probably Symphony and Serenity are probably the ones that most listeners yeah, will remember. For sure. Because they're still in service now. Um, so these are. Um, sort of mid-sized ships, I suppose, uh, small to mid-sized by today's standards, but highly luxurious, very attentive service. And it's a, it's a very sort of, um, it commands a very loyal following. People who travel on Crystal travel year on year on year because of that onboard experience. Now, um, Harmony left the fleet in 2005, um, leaving just the two big ships, but they've also branched out into small ship cruising and uh, sort of the super yachts as well from 2016. Um, so have quite a, a diverse sort of offering that they can provide for, for guests. Now, what's interesting from a history point of view is that, you know, the ship SS United States. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was the fastest, still is to this day, the fastest ocean liner that was ever put into service. Big transatlantic ship um, that operated between um, New York and Southampton during the 1950s. Um, so she was withdrawn from service in 1969 and has been laid up in uh, Philadelphia for decades. But in 2015, Crystal actually um, looked very seriously at buying the SS United States. I remember this, yeah. Yeah, and they did a feasibility study on how it would um, 
potentially be converted. And there was these artist renderings, which you can still find on there in their news section of what the ship might look like if it was brought back into service. Um, as it turned out, it wasn't um, worth it, I suppose. It wasn't a successful uh, venture and they, they never did buy the ship. Um, but so a little bit of history there. Um, so for celebrating their 30th birthday, um, they're doing a few things. They've got this virtual cruise um, that you can participate in, Crystal at Home is what it's called. Uh, but okay. they've also released a special guest curated playlist with music that sort of celebrates both their birthday, but also the onboard ambience and the experience of um, traveling on Crystal with with songs and and music that's been selected by the Crystal guests. Um, and that includes tracks such as A Wonderful World, Beyond the Sea, Stardust, Piano Man, um, some of the things that you might expect to, to hear whilst you're in one of the shows on board or perhaps sitting around um, in one of the bars and lounges on the ship. So a nice little way to, to celebrate their 30th without um, having any passengers on board at the moment. Yeah, no, it is. It's a very, very popular brand in that, that luxury space and uh, wishing all the, the team well at uh, Crystal Cruises. Now, we're going to head over to the UK briefly now to talk about uh, Saga. They've just um, floated out ahead of the sea trials. They have. So uh, Spirit of Adventure, which is the second in this new class of ships for, for Saga, their um, existing ship is a Spirit of Discovery, which is a new build and a very nice sort of onboard experience, very elegant interior. Um, both of which were constructed at Mayerwerft in Germany. Um, so this is a 999 passenger ship, just short of a thousand, um, all balconies. So quite a pleasant onboard experience um, with a planned maiden voyage of the 5th of November. Now, when they build these ships in Mayerwerft, they actually build them in, in enormous sheds that allow, because it's quite cold um, in the winter months there. So it cool, allows yeah. them to be, yeah, it allows them to be uh, constructed whilst, um, whilst it's snowing and all that sort of thing. Um, and so there's this, uh, the, the floating out, I suppose, the ship kind of comes out of the shed. And then these wonderful photographs, which you can see on um, on Saga's uh, social media, um, of the funnel being craned on board um, as she's leaving the, the shed. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, because the funnel's too tall for it to fit into yeah, the shed. Yeah. Um, so you can find that. It's, it's, quite, it's quite fascinating to see and uh, really does sort of signify the, the, the completion of the physical structure of the ship. And then she'll have... Um, all of the interior work completed and and go on her sea trials. Brilliant. Now, um, Royal Caribbean and the Royal Caribbean Group have been doing some work to um, to make the muster drill um, a little bit easier. Um, tell us more. Yeah, I mean, you would know, and every other cruising person, I suppose, would know that uh, different cruise lines have different ways of doing muster. Some of them make you meet in lounges. Some of them make you line up um, in on the decks. In fact, my last... Uh, I don't know if it's like this anymore. It's been a while, but my last um, RCI cruise, we actually had to go out onto the deck and stand underneath the lifeboat and sort of very close with all the other passengers and stuff. Um, that was back on Enchantment of the Sea some some years ago. But okay. um, now they're turning to digital technology to help and have really sort of reinvented the whole process. So this will be something that um, they'll introduce across Royal Caribbean, Celebrity and Azamara, the three brands that um, that are part of the of RCI. Um, and it will include sort of various steps that will allow you to complete the muster without having to have that huge cluster of people all mingling in the same spot. I suppose it's um, one of these ways to encourage social distancing on board. So via either the interactive TV on some of the ships or a mobile app that you can have on your on your smartphone, you'll be able to undertake a briefing and listen to the safety signal. So the usually it's... Um, 
seven short blasts and then one long blast on the bells and whistles. You'll be able to mm-hmm. hear that um, on the uh, on the app. Then in your own time, within a certain time period, you can visit the assembly station where you'll be able to do a bit of a Q&A with the crew there to make sure you've understood what's going on. Uh, and then there will be an announcement by the, the captain or, or senior officers where you will hear the real um, bells and um, whistles for the um, general emergency signal. So it's sort of taking it from this big sort of one-off event where everybody in the entire ship is mingling in one spot and allowing you to sort of uh, participate in it over, over a time period in your own time um, to, I guess, encourage um, better flow of passengers and, and health and safety on board. Yeah, absolutely. The the thing that uh, struck me was that this has actually been been in the works for about twelve months. It's not something that's come about as a result of COVID. So mm. they've obviously been trying to to find a, a solution to the the mass congregation of people for for quite some time, which is uh, great. Yeah, because I mean, after the muster, uh, it, it takes forever for people to get there. But also afterwards, I mean, everyone's trying to get into the same lifts and use the same stairs, and are worried about life jackets trailing on the floor and all sorts of other things. So I guess this sort of brings that muster experience into the 21st century. I think personally, there's obviously like great benefit from physically putting the life jacket on and checking it all out, but you should really be doing that yourself anyway, because yeah. at the end of the day, if there's um, an emergency, it's, it's you that needs to know what's what's going on. So uh, this allows you to do that and not have to ch- take up such a huge chunk of your uh, embarkation day with that mass congregation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've spoken about Penonta a bit over the past couple of weeks, but they've um, got another announcement this week. They've uh, headed back to the Arctic. They are. So, yes, they're going to be resuming their luxury cruising to the Arctic. Um, And so this is uh, five itineraries that are now available between August and September. Um, So, you know, kind of cramming it in in the next two months. Um, And it really is something that for anybody who's sort of a lover of nature will be quite an fantastic experience because you you know the Penance ships are um, smaller than the big bigger ships we speak about quite often and so they can get up close to the to the action and you'll be able to see things like polar bears and some unique seabirds that live in the arctic um, and this of course is in addition to the french coastal voyages that they'd already announced earlier um in earlier in the year for 2020 yeah and i think um I think I'm right in saying this, that they, they now have all bar one of their ships or yachts actually in active service. I think there's only one left in New Caledonia, which is the one that is kind of waiting patiently to see if it can come back to, to Australia anytime soon. Yeah, we spoke about the one wanting to come to Australia in a previous podcast, but it's good to see, um, at least with Penant, that things certainly seem to be moving along well with their... Cause, because they, they were one of the brands that we spoke about earlier with the... the at, at, you know, advanced health and safety screenings, all sorts of other things that they've done. Yeah. Um, so I think all eyes in the cruise industry and travel industry in general are actually on these brands that are trying out cruising because um, yeah. I guess they will be able to lead the way for uh, yeah. what could be safe cruising in the future. Of course. Um, now, Norwegian Cruise Lines did extend their pause this week, and mm-hmm. in that they also extended their peace of mind guarantee? Yes, they have now. So they've extended it. Um, anybody who makes a booking by the 31st of August will be able to have the flexibility to cancel their voyage 15 days prior to the cruise, so just, just over two weeks prior to your, to your voyage, which is quite a lot more flexible than what it was in the pre-COVID era. Um, and I believe um, that that covers Norwegian Cruise Lines, um, Oceana, and also uh, Regents as well. Heading back to the UK briefly, we've also got uh, news from Fred Olsen. We do. So Fred Olsen is looking far ahead now. They actually have announced uh, a voyage for Balmoral, which is their 
one of their uh, four ships. Well, actually, they're just about to get six ships um, with, with the two Holland America ships moving across. Um, but Balmoral's 2023 um, itinerary has kicked off. Um, this will also see a, a Northern American voyage where you'll be able to depart Southampton and over 34 nights will take in a number of ports um, and, and locations in North America. Um, which coincides with the um, autumn months in um, Canada. So it'll have highlights including visiting Halifax, um, St. John's. You'll also be able to visit the Cape Cod Canal. Um, and it actually goes all the way to the Delaware Canal, which oh, is, wow. um, I believe, in the United States. So um, quite an interesting itinerary. And they're saying that if you book this cruise by September of 2020, so you'll have a uh, a couple of years of excitement <laughs> waiting ahead of you, but um, they'll also give you 300 British pounds worth of onboard credit. So um, trying to attract some attention there, but again, like really looking forward into the into what should be the post-coronavirus uh, sort of era with um, 2023 cruises being announced. Yeah, as you say, great news. Um, now, Scenic, a good, strong Australian brand, they've extended a, a pause um, for certain parts of the world and also their, their luxury um, Eclipse ship. Yes, yeah, so they've actually extended their um, pause now in Egypt, uh, Jordan, and Israel. And this is, uh, they've said this, I mean, obviously, um, there's government restrictions all over the world. We, we live, you know, you and I both living in Australia, we know all, all about restrictions that are, yeah. um, that are, that are causing um, delays in cruising restarting. So um, there'll be no cruises in those regions until the end of 2020, at least. So the 31st of um, December 2020 is when they've been extended to. And next up, um, a, a story very close to my own heart, because I was a little sad a couple of weeks ago when Holland America announced they were selling the Rotterdam. Um, and mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge, I think there's always been a Rotterdam um, in the Holland mm-hmm. America fleet. And they've made a big announcement this week all about that. They have. So Rotterdam is to Holland America a very important name. It's it's often um, the, well, it's definitely the most uh, famous name in the company's sort of fleet of ships. Um, it is reserved for the flagship of the line. There's been seven um, Rotterdams uh, now. Uh, and um, perhaps the, there's a couple that have been quite quite well known. Um, the one that's obviously retiring now has been in service for, for uh, two decades and she's much loved um, and is going across to, to Fred Olsen. But the Rotterdam of the 1950s is perhaps the most famous of the Rotterdams in, in recent memory anyway. The Grand Dame? Uh, because... Yes, the Grand Dame, exactly. And she was uh, the last of um, Holland America's transatlantic liners, but also quite quickly converted across to become a full-time cruise ship um, and has been since restored and saved in the port of Rotterdam as a floating hotel. So absolutely beautiful ship, and it's wonderful to see her being saved. So Holland America were busy with the construction of a new ship, which they were going to name Rhindam, um, because obviously that 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 name had become available a couple of years ago when when the former Randam moved across to um, Piendo, Australia. Uh, but that name has now been changed, and the new um, ship will be named Rotterdam when it enters into service. Um, and so this will allow it to become the new flagship of the fleet, and will allow that tradition of having Rotterdam as the the lead ship in the fleet um, to continue on throughout the twenty first century. Yeah, let's hope that they do the christening for the Rotterdam in Rotterdam next to the Grand Dame. 
Uh, I know. I, I would hope so too. Although I must say, I, I guess I'm a bit biased because of the old ones and Ocean Liner, and she's so she's so beautiful that she might actually steal the show. So perhaps they'll <laughs> perhaps they'll keep her away. But it would be lovely if they did that. That would be such a nice way to sort of um, see the, the the handover from one to the other. Now, just a little bit of fun. It's got nothing to do with coronavirus, but the the, the famous gondolas of Venice are having to reduce their capacity um, in each of the gondolas. Yeah, like the funny thing about this, I, I've seen this one um, pop up on some of the, the travel forums as well. It's um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there's so much stuff that's coming out at the moment. It's uh, due to COVID, due to COVID, due to COVID. And you see our oh, Venice gondolas have been reduced. So their their capacity was um, maximum of six and now it's going to go down to five. And I think originally people jumped to the conclusion that this is, again, part of the social distancing. But it actually apparently um, is due to the weight of the passengers which is causing strain for the boatmen um <laughs> due to i suppose over time and uh, people are uh, potentially getting a, a little bit heavier um and uh, that's causing some some dramas for the for the boatmen so the um i guess it must be the union or the authority that looks after that has has made the decision to to reduce that capacity from six down to five to help relieve that alleviate that strain i suppose there's a strange sort of um flow on effect for that is it will in the short term at least help with um with reducing uh, the number of people mingling close close by each other in the gondolas during during COVID, but this will obviously um, be in place for, for many years to come. I didn't realise there was four hundred and thirty three licensed gondoliers in Venice, plus some substitutes. Incredible number. I know it's funny because like you walk through Venice and you look and they're just they're just everywhere, but you don't really sort of stop to think how many would that be in total, and it's quite it's quite a remarkable number, really. <laughs> now before we wrap up, um, obviously. Just as we were coming to record this um, news broke that uh, Conwell Fantasy was uh, being beached in uh, Turkey, and I believe that's part of um, part of your video that you're putting out this week. Well, yeah, I've, I've I've done a few things that talk about what's happening with the ships that are being retired, and one of the ones that I mentioned in last week's video was that that both Fantasy and Inspiration were en route to Turkey with you know, undisclosed destination there, but it was pretty uh, pretty widely thought that they would end up um, on the beach there to be broken up. Now, Fantasy arrived um, several days ago and she was anchored off the coast. Uh, and this was the same area, the same beach where uh, both the Sovereign and the Monarch from Pulmantor had um, had just recently been, been beached. Uh, and this week, um, we saw fantasy run aground there next to the other two. And there's the most dramatic footage um, which you can find both on Instagram but also on YouTube of fantasy being beached. And there's these the two uh, monarch and sovereign, 80, you know, 75,000-ton giant, great, huge cruise ship sitting there. And this other 70,000-ton cruise ship comes sliding up on the on the beach at full power next to them. It's, it's extremely... Um, it's very visual impact of the devastation, unfortunately, yeah. that's happening to the the industry at the moment and of course like the vast majority of ships aren't being scrapped by any means but these ones these are big ships they're you know they've been in service they was no plan to like retire them as soon as they have been retired you can see that just by looking at how well maintained and how pristine they look on the outside and they're just being run aground um so this week's video though barry is actually a little bit more positive because it's actually looking at um you know, with all that doom and gloom, but there's actually some sh- shipping lines that are restarting, as we've mentioned before, and it's looking at what those cruise lines are doing and um, how cruising is basically back in a very limited capacity in some markets. So 
um, something to you know be a little bit more positive yeah. um, going into the into the weekend. <laughs> Great. Well, as always, I'll always put the the link in the, the show notes for people to find if they can't find you themselves. Um, it, you. Just to mention, if anybody does have a uh, cruising question or a cruising maritime history question for for Chris, you're more than welcome to send them through. Just jump onto the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Uh, click on join the show and send through your question and we'll do our best to answer it in the upcoming episodes. But for now, Chris, thanks very much for your time, mate. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much. This podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. They have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing. But most importantly, each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. And next up on the show, it's time for a cruise review. And this week, we're joined by Adam, who's going to tell us about his uh, experience on board a beautiful ship, a ship that's very close to my own heart, uh, Windsurf, which is part of the Windstar fleet. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, Barry. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Um, So before we uh, jump in uh, to talking about the ship, let's uh, get your thoughts on why you chose this cruise, who went on the cruise, and uh, how you got to wherever the ship was based. Well, uh, this was a very special cruise for our family. It was a milestone for my birthday. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly what that was. but uh, <laughs> We chose this ship and we left it rather late to book. And obviously, um, there was lots of options. We were heading to Europe because we've got some family over there. And we chose this one because it was intimate, small ship exploring the Spanish coast. And it just sounded absolutely amazing. And I, um, I needed a rest. I wanted to actually sometimes I just want to sit down and have a book and sit beside a pool. And sometimes I want to explore uh, we did some research and, and Windstar and the ships that they had and Windsurf is not full on in activities and had that sort of country club feel from what, from what I was mm-hmm. told and I'd never experienced that. So I was quite interested in, in, in having a look at it. So it's only about 300 people on board. So that's probably a perfect number. And uh, my wife and two sons and they were aged about uh, 19 and 14 and a little concerned about perhaps there might not be enough activities for them but rest assured that the ports and everything more than made up for that so uh, we flew into madrid spent some time to see some family there and then i love trains as well and ships and we caught the overnight sleeper train from madrid to lisbon and we spent uh, a night and two days in lisbon which was way too short we should have stayed there for at least three nights and uh, lisbon is now one of my favorite cities i can't believe i, ha- I hadn't been there uh, prior yeah, it's a great to that. spot isn't it oh beautiful and it just Exploring that city, the food, the culture, the affordability was was, was phenomenal as well. And yeah. uh, the beauty of a small ship so, such as the Windsurf is they parked it downtown. So it yeah. was very easy to get to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in fact, all of Portugal's got, got a lot to offer. And mm. uh, I think it will become more and more popular as people look for that little bit of extra value. Um, now, when you... Obviously, embarking a small ship is very different to embarking a big ship. But just to explain the process. Was it pretty uh, easy to get from curbside onto the ship? And uh, how, how was the check-in process? Check-in process was rather easy. It was <laughs> as with a small number of people. Check-in opens. It's probably open for about five or six hours. People come in, making their, making their way in. We got there around 12 o'clock. Obviously, we want to get on board and have some lunch, of course. But uh, uh, dropping off luggage, 30 minutes from curb to cabin. Uh, quite easy. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. The, and what were you... F- what were your first impressions of the ship um, as you, oh, you walk up the gangway? Uh, 
it was it was small. It was like okay. Well, the the, inter, the thing interesting thing about windsurf, it's also a sailing ship. So you look at it and go, wow. You don't see this very often. So you, you have a look at that, and I felt that it was private. Uh, elegant but casual, uh, easy to navigate, easy to get around. We probably walked around the ship in the first 20 minutes. Uh, it was a classic feel, a bit of brass and wood, but but not old and dated, if you know what I mean. So the yeah, thing, yeah. It, was, it was, I felt comfortable. I felt at ease as soon as I walked on board. It wasn't in your face. It wasn't glitz and, and all that sort of glamour, but it was uh, reassuring. It was nice. Yeah, I like to think it feels like that um... – one of your best friends has just won the lottery and they're shouting you a, a holiday and you, because you really quickly get to know everybody, not only the crew, but all the passengers. It just has a, a really nice, as you say, intimate uh, feel there. It is. Um, sorry, go on. No, everyone's laid back and introducing themselves. It's not like stranger danger. <laughs> it's, it's essentially <laughs> you want to get to know some of these people because you're all together for the next eight nights. Yeah. Now, everybody's always curious how different cruise lines handle the, the muster drill. Um, how, how was it uh, taken on board Windsurf? It was, it was almost like a little holiday in itself. Um, you grab the, in this circumstance, you had to grab your life jackets from the cabin and you walked up and there were about three muster stations. And ours was the lovely back deck pool where we just sat on the edge of the pool. Uh, some people had a drink, which maybe they shouldn't. Um, yeah. But uh, And then we just listened to what was going on whilst viewing the docks and the, the city side of Lisbon at the same time. So perfect setting. It was over and done within 15 minutes. Brilliant. Before we talk about Sail Away, let's have a little chat about the, the cabin. Um, explain what cabin you had booked and kind of the look, the feel, the the facilities, USB sockets, etc. And of course, we'll get to that all-important bathroom question <laughs> towards the end. Um, st- uh, standard cabins. Um, basically, the cabins, I believe, are the same on um, outside cabins. Um, I didn't see very many balconies. Um, outside cabins on uh, two decks, uh, I think three decks, and they're virtually almost exactly the same. So it's a, a nice, lovely queen bed, um, double window, um, really nice bed spreads and, and sheets. I think I'm, I'm not an officiate, but Egyptian cotton and uh, beautiful plush bathrobes, uh, lovely TV, DVD player, uh, those sound system as well. Uh, the DV, they had a DVD library, so my boys every now and then would pop up and grab a video, a DVD. Uh, for the cabin uh, minibar um, and I think my pronunciation the Ossetan toiletries throughout um, and probably one of the plushest bathroom rugs that I've ever seen (laughs) Uh, so it was a a lovely experience night bright and airy and plenty of space plenty of space and uh, I can't recollect if there was a USB I know that we did charge on the side of the television but I don't think there was one Okay, fair enough. And uh, the bathrooms are pretty unique on, on windsurf, uh, little pods from memory. Um, but uh, do you remember if it had a shower curtain or a glass screen? I had to go back and find the photos because when we get on board, we just we take photos and just send them all to the family. And, and they all go, yeah, wow, that's absolutely amazing. It was a shower curtain. It was a shower curtain, but I don't have any bad memories of, of, of a cold cling during the middle of a warm shower. So it was all good. <laughs> Plenty of space. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, now, there's a few different dining choices on board uh, Windsurf and Windstar Cruises. Um, did you sample all of them? And uh, I guess we'll start off with room service, move into the buffet, the main restaurants, and then if you went to any of the speciality uh, dining options. Well, all the, all the food and all the restaurants, including the specialty restaurants, are included. So, But you, I do suggest you do book ahead for some of the nicer uh, the bistros um, and some evenings they have the veranda under the moonlight where you can dine under the stars. Now, the interesting thing at this time of the year in July in the summer, the sun's not setting till 10 p.m., so you're essentially not really 
having a dinner under the stars, you're having dinner under the sunset, which is stunning. Um, a buffet for breakfast was, was perfect. It's small, up, up on the deck, essentially. It's not really indoors. There's, there is an indoor section. It can be quite warm in, in southern Spain during that time of the year. But uh, if the ship is moving um, and that was a sea day, then we would um, sit outside and enjoy the breeze. But on those days, and the majority of days in port, we'd go inside to get a bit of respite from the, from the early morning 30 degree heat as, 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 as it would start off in Spain. So, uh, we experienced everything. Um, I think one of the ports, um, they do at least have one or two barbecues um, as we were leaving Malaga one evening and uh, a pig on the spit, Spanish delicacies, paella, everything like that. So um, I couldn't fault the food. Uh, the bistro was phenomenal. My two boys are uh, 19 and, um, and 14. Um, probably meat and potatoes boys, but essentially they were well looked after everywhere they went. And um, I just took their entrees if they didn't want them. So <laughs> Now you touched on um, sailing away there. Um, uh, the a sail away on board of any Windstar ship is a little bit unique. Do you want to explain the, uh, the whole process of the unfurling of the sails? Oh, mate. It, it, it just gave me goosebumps again because the song that they play is 1492, The Conquest of Paradise. And... As you're sailing out, and we did this out of a few ports, they've motored out um, until it's safe and the wind picks up, and then the seven sails slowly start unfurling whilst this song plays across the whole ship. I think we filmed it three times and people were just looking there in awe as the sails come up, and if it's on a good evening with a bit of a bit of a wind, you're underway. And you may not necessarily have full power on the engine, but you can actually feel how it felt all those years ago when it was all basically sail. Uh, still goosebumps to this day, and that is probably one of the experiences that people will walk away from and record and show family and friends, but you've actually got to be there to experience that. It's very hard. To, people look at it on my videos, etc., on Facebook, and they go, yeah, that's, that's lovely. It's a lovely song, and, and the sails look pretty and white, but, mate, you've got to be there. Yeah, you have. And I think it's one of those things that makes me rate Windstar and Windsurf as one of my favourite experiences because that sail away is, as you say, like you get goosebumps. It's quite a magical mm-hmm. um, experience there. Um, now, on, you mentioned sea days as well. How was the, the, the flow of people around the ship? Was there always a, a quiet spot in a lounge or you were always able to find a, a deck chair or did it get quite busy? It was nice, pleasant, casual. Uh, you'd bump into other people, but there was plenty of space wherever you wanted. And that first sea day, uh, uh, we're going out of Lisbon. We left Lisbon really late at night. I was hoping we'd to leave in the afternoon to be able to going down outside the river and under the bridge, etc. But because yeah. of the tides, it left around probably about 3 a.m. But the oh. next day, you could sight the coast as it came around towards the, around towards Cadiz, which was the first port on, on day three. But that first day at sea uh, was absolutely stunning. Wind in your hair. Um, you've got to be careful in the sun, of course. It's, it's 30, 35 degrees and uh, you're outdoors. A very small pool, but it was well frequented, but not overly crowded. Um, nice to grab a drink, the first drink of um, of the sail. And then um, as, as we sailed and, and sit down and enjoy the day, a beautiful long day. Yeah, fabulous. Now, um, did you get an opportunity to use the water sports platform? Windsurf has one, but I know in certain areas they're not allowed to use it. Yeah, um, each of the ports, there was no tenders at all. It's usually when they uh, when they have to tender, they'll open it up, and if it's safe enough and it's clean enough, and and most of the Spanish coast is is okay to do that. They they did it in this instance. I know that they've done it in the Caribbean and Tahiti, 
my boys were, we saw all the pictures and were looking forward to jumping off the back of the ship into whatever it may be. But unfortunately, that was not to be the case. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe next time. <laughs> and an excuse to go back. Um, now, obviously, entertainment's pretty low key on, on a ship, on a small ship of any. Uh, but um, was there things going on in the evening? Was there any live music and things going on around the ship? Uh, there were some bar singers, for want of a better term, a lovely couple who would entertain us on the back bar um, and in the evenings. Um, uh, there were some, uh, what do they call it? It's like sessions where they talk about the ports. And say, for example, when we, we left late from somewhere like Cadiz, uh, there'd be an early session around 7 or 8 p.m. where they would bring dancers and Spanish dancers from the port on board. So you've oh, actually okay. got to experience that a classic uh, classic flamenco um, oh, on board, really? and she would explain it to you in, in the lounge area as well. So uh, that was lovely. Um, uh, but more, more often than not, it was the back bar. There was a few fun nights, trivia sessions, music sessions. You get to know your, your fellow uh, passengers as well, but intimate quiet and, and she sometimes in the afternoon there'd be a, a, a pianist or a, or a guitarist there as well just fucking away and as you had a drink and nice background music just added to the whole the whole laid-back experience yeah no exactly um now obviously you were cruising before covid most cruise lines are pretty hot on washing hands and sanitizing and things was it pretty well enforced on on board windsurf uh, it was at the key strategic points where you have the most interaction, of course, with the restaurants upstairs on the decks near the bars, etc. cetera. Uh, so well covered across the board, but not overly in your face, um, mm-hmm. but, but present there so you didn't miss it. Okay. Now you touched on sailing from Lisbon. Let's now move on to the various ports of call that you visited. Uh, tell us each of the ports and what you did, whether it was a shore excursion, whether you did your own thing, et cetera, and uh, we'll, we'll find out where you went to. Uh, well, it was an eight-night cruise, and the first night was Lisbon, and then there was the Sea Day, and then the, the Spanish port of Cadiz. Uh, Cadiz, as um, uh, my wife's relatives is, tells us, is one of the oldest inhabited um, Western European cities. It goes back to so many thousand BC, etc., and it has a, an amazing history. And, it's, and essentially, because the Windstar ships are so small, they park almost dead set in the centre of town where the, where the port is. Uh, so you step off the ship straight into Cadiz and you're straight into the, almost into the centre of town. So uh, we love to walk and we love to explore. I speak a bit of Spanish. My wife speaks, uh, my wife has a Spanish background as well. So uh, we're able to go to the bars and the pubs and the restaurants, et cetera, and, and just explore. And we did uh, mostly explore in all of the destinations that we went to. The, the second destination was Gibraltar. Um, quite honestly, I was a little disappointed. Um, obviously, uh, we tried to get an opportunity to get to the top of the rock, but unfortunately, the cable car broke down. Uh, so oh, no. I, thought, no, I think it's a cable car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. broke down, so we weren't able to get to the top, which probably diminished our experience of Gibraltar. Beyond that, it was a Sunday and everything was closed. So right, we just yeah. walked around town. I took a picture in a typical English pub and then got back on the ship and we just took ourselves <laughs> on board. But, uh, Beyond that, one of our favourite cities of Malaga, parked downtown there as well, just exploring the city. Um, we've been there about three years before for uh, my wife's sister's wedding. Um, and then we spent some time, um, I found a Spanish, oh, sorry, an Arabian hammam to get a, a nice massage as well. There's a bit of a history there. Uh, the next city after that was Almeria, Um uh, which is probably, if I don't know if people are familiar with it, is where they filmed a lot of the spaghetti westerns. Um, they filmed, a, 
they Monty, one of, a few Monty Pythons uh, there as well. And Cartagena, which is, I think, the Spanish submarine base. That was a beautiful amphitheater there, a lovely town. Uh, the second last port was Palma de Mallorca. Uh, it goes without that. Goes without saying, that's a lovely town to walk around. And all these other towns, we didn't do any official um, uh, shore excursions. A lot of the, the people on board, I'd say at least sixty percent of them were from the United States, uh, and they were able to take. They did a lot of shore excursions themselves, which were up to the Alhambra, uh, Granada, all those particular different areas away from the coast into Spain. And we've been there previously, but. For us, the experience of, in, uh, of of walking through the towns, experiencing the local cuisine, um, local fiestas at that particular time of the year as well. Um, and the last port of call for us was Barcelona, which we spent a few days at, at the end. Always love Barcelona. Oh, yeah. Time and time again, you can go back to Barcelona <laughs> for, forever. Um, some great ports there. Some of my favourites all the way through. Fantastic. Um, now, did any one of those particular ports stand out as a, a got to get back there? I think, or well, Lisbon for sure. I've got to say, I, I, I'm, I've missed out on Lisbon the last 20, 30 years, and to, to find it at this stage in life, I, I, we're going to head back as soon as as soon as we're able to. But any of those other particular ports, um, Almeria was a surprise. The beautiful um, castle, I think, Castillo above the town there was was phenomenal. We didn't spend enough time there. And I think going beyond the port into the countryside a, a little more, a little more to explore that particular area, I'd probably head back to there. But um, We've often discussed Malaga uh, as well as like, okay, if ever we had to retire, one place in the world outside of Australia we'd go is probably Malaga. I'm not, I'm not talking Costa del Sol or any of those particular areas. Yeah. I'd love to get somewhere just near Nerja or up, up from Malaga around there, but time will tell. Probably won't happen, but I'd love to go back to Malaga as well. Yeah, that's a great spot. We did a cycling tour around there. Great spot to yeah. get a bike for the kids and just disappear off down the, the alleyways and things. Um, on board, um, did you have a drinks package or was, were you buying drinks as you went um, throughout the cruise? Uh, bought drinks as we went. We, we waited up and so like I said, we're going to spend most of the day in the ports walking around. There were long days, etc. We're not going to load up on drinks in the evening. Uh, we could have the occasional drink, but it was actually quite affordable just to take have a beer here and a wine there. We bought a few bottles of wine, etc. I think there was some sort of deal you buy three at one, or you got a, a yep. particular discount for a number. But it didn't make sense for us for the um, for the drinks package. Yep, yep, fair enough. Um, now, normally I ask about the cruise directors, but um, I think on a, a ship like Windsurf, you. The, the cruise director or the cruise host is not really such a big deal. It is all about the ship and it's all about the destinations. But um, do you particularly remember anybody on board as being standout? I went through my photos. I racked my brains. I can't even remember. There probably was a cruise director. He probably made the announcements and I probably listened in very intently, but um, I probably couldn't call him out of the lineup. So, <laughs> Curiously, did you get to go to the bridge at all? Because Windsor obviously has the, the open bridge policy. Ah, uh, Yes, we did. Love that. Um, especially one of those, I think, after we pulled out of Malaga and the wind came up a little bit and the sails were up, we just took a walk out to and knocked on the door, came into the bridge, and we spent about half an hour to 45 minutes with the with the officer of watch. I had a chat with him about what was going on. Um, I know it's their duty, but they love speaking to people and they love sharing that information, the history. The guy's probably been asked the same question 50 times during the, during the <laughs> cruise, but... 
it was lovely to hear from Ian. He was he was amicable and he was he, he loved sharing that information with us. And it's great to yeah. be up there just looking at all the gadgets <laughs> and wondering what they all do. So uh, yeah, such, such a unique having... ship that they're probably extremely proud to 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 show it off and talk about it to anybody who's oh, able to. Absolutely, I would too as well. Um, now, Windstar and Windsurf are very different. Do you think they appeal to a particular market um, or anybody that maybe it wouldn't be suitable for? Um, kids under 10, kids under 12, there's no kids' activities. My boys, as I mentioned, were 14 and 19. The 14-year-old found a, a few extended families that were on board. There's, of the 250 people on board, there were probably about 20 kids, and they all got on. There were a few younger kids, but they were part of a larger family union. Um, my 19-year-old got along with a few of the um, 18, 19, 20-year-olds from those family groups as well. So I, I'd probably give it a miss for, for kids' activities. Um, yeah. It's for those people who want to get intimate with a destination, intimate with a coastline. Um, it's not necessarily about visiting as many countries as you possibly can in seven days. It's about really going intense and exploring a certain area. Uh, so perhaps if you've you've done your big cruises, you've done your, your five countries in seven days and you really love to see a bit more of Spain or Italy or Greece. And I know that we've looked at their Greece options as well. Um, it's it's a great opportunity. Um, I don't didn't see, for want of a better term, the elderly on board. It is quite an active ship and it is yep. a small ship, a lot of stairs. There, there's a small elevator. I don't think I used it once or I didn't see anyone use it once. There's only about three or four decks. Uh, yep. So if you're active... Um, and in those areas um, where there are water sports, if you like that sort of thing, then that's great for you as well. So extended families, older teen families, et cetera, where, where the kids can entertain themselves or are friendly with other kids as well, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. Or if I tell you what, the next one will probably just be my wife and myself for a lovely romantic seven or eight nights somewhere, and that's going to be perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Have to agree the the Greek cars. I mean, I'd love to do the itinerary you've just done. I look at it every single year, but I also look at the the, the Greek cars because they they're in port that little bit longer. They, they yeah. go to the big islands, but they also go to some lesser known places as well. So you get to tick uh, quite a lot off um, on board the the ship in the Greek cars as well. Um, if the executives from Windstar um, were listening, um, have you got a particular message for them? Good, bad, or indifferent? Well, here's something I penned out. More voyages close to Australia. Australians would love this if they only knew a little bit more about it. I think, imagine doing the windsurf along the Kimberley, um, maybe the islands between Bali and Timor, seven-night itineraries out of Cairns to the reef and Papua New Guinea. I think they're perfect for this market if only more Australians knew about it and could experience this laid-back type of um, uh, experience and country club and bit of luxury and great food i think um bring it to australia bring more to australia please yeah i've, I've been saying that for years but particularly bring the the sailing ships because obviously windstar mm. has the, the dedicated motor ships as well which yep. are great don't get me wrong but i think uh, the the sailing motor sailing yachts would be perfect for those destinations that you've just mentioned absolutely Adam, it's uh, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very, very much for sharing your experience and uh, next time you choose to cruise we look forward to hearing all about it Thank you, Barry. It makes me want to go back through the old photos again. It was such a wonderful experience. But thanks for having a chat. Really appreciate it. No worries. Speak to you soon. When you're packing for your next cruise, 
maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evocus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.